What's in the pot? What's in the pot? What's in the We bought a. Bought a Actually, mic. I, I invented Facebook. We bought. A mic. The number one rule of podcasts is you don't talk about podcasts. Okay, how about this? The number two rule of podcasts that you don't talk about podcasts. Uh, podcast. But it's like Rosebud, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's what it said on Drew Slay since his it just said podcast. It said that on yeah, it said that on my first microphone. <laughs> Why didn't one of us should have just started crying and we could have guessed is it old Benjamin Button or young Benjamin Button? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. So there's something there. There's definitely a joke there. The curious case of pod Benjamin podcast. <laughs> there we go. Okay. All right. We had to we had to look for it, but there we go. We we brought it down. Brought it home. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We bought a micro pop culture podcast here with a pre-Mank discussion. Uh, we're talking Citizen Kane and a little uh, little Fincher uh, kind of overview of where he's been, where he's at, what he's up to, what he had for lunch, um, what kind of double features he's inviting Brad Pitt over in his basement to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I am Ernest. I am... Uh, the inventor of podcast hunter, and I'm Skimble Shanks again, twice in a row. What if what if David Fincher had directed Cats? Um, better or worse? I guess. Well, I'll have to see Mank. I'm gonna say well <laughs> to to really answer that. It's worse because he doesn't have the same eye for filmmaking than mm-hmm. Tom Hooper as Tom Hooper. You know, has. Mank is a I, great. You know, name what? For... Tom Hooper has more Oscar wins than David Fincher. Fuck. <laughs> Mank is Just a great name for a jellical cat. <laughs> no, it needs to be like Mank Mank Mankshuitz. Mank Mankowitz, maybe. <laughs> so, boys, uh, before we get into Fincher, let's talk a little bit about a little movie called Citizen Kane. You boys heard of this? You heard of this? You seen you, this? You heard this? And this? Um, yes. Uh, so. This was, I had not seen this movie since first year of college. Uh, Drew and I took a cinema survey class uh, together freshman year. Um, And somehow, I think it's because I did not do anything aside from go to movies, go to the um, classes and watch movies. I didn't know nothing else in the class. I ended up getting like a B plus in the class. I didn't even get an A in a cinema survey class. So I don't know how I'm qualified to be on this podcast, but let's just say, um, we, uh, we did a lot of Soylent, uh, back in the college days. So this was kind of like a fresh look at this movie. This was the first time I saw this movie. I'm surprised that Mm. you never watched it in any of your film classes. It's it's citizen Kane. They just like assume if you like register for the film program, they're like, you, you've done this. Yeah. I got an a minus in that class. So I'm actually qualified to talk about it. Oh, I haven't A-minus. rewatched it since then. Yeah, I clearly <laughs> remember all of it. Um, and I remember uh, thinking it was very good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. That's going to wrap it up. For I, 
it is i do want to spend some time with citizen kane because i i do think like we don't we don't need to go too into it because i don't want to just it's like it's literally about like citizen kane it's more so that's like it's crazy to watch citizen kane now in 2020 and the year of our lord um Specifically, if you go into watching Citizen Kane, knowing that Trump has said multiple times that this is his favorite movie ever. Oh, it's like, wow, man, that guy does not uh, does not know how to. It's like saying it's like all the film bros who misinterpret Fight Club. Like it's like you you were just it just went right over your head. It's also saying like the dictionary is your favorite book. But like, I mean, there's so much about this movie that I, of course, it's like, I don't want to get into like how this changed movies. I will say just uh, as somebody who is doing an Oscar watch through right now, who watched a lot of movies pre-Citizen Kane, this movie changed everything about the way the film that looks like the way that really well, it, it's paced really well. Yeah, that's, like it's I very, that's, very watchable. Uh, that's kind of the biggest thing that I would want to tell someone who hasn't seen it and isn't necessarily like a huge movie person is that like this is a, like a really short watchable movie, especially as far as old ass fucking movies this, go. Like, my God, this and Casablanca are like, I mean, there's a reason why they're known as Timeless. two of the greatest films ever. It's because yeah. like they understood the idea of pacing at a time when nothing understood the idea of pacing. Yeah. And uh, like you said, like aesthetically, like it is it is inventing a bunch of moves that everyone will steal forever. There's dynamic camera movements. Like that's just not a thing like a camera going up and then going through like a a skylight and going down into a scene. You just didn't do that. You were lucky if you got like a dolly shot in a fucking movie. And it's very funny because this was Orson Welles's first movie. Uh, He was in like his twenties, like his mid twenties. I want to say he was known as like a theater star and like also i think he did radio like he just yeah. he was not in the movie industry he looks like a motherfucking snack though hey he did it, hey good shout out to the makeup team in this movie because yeah. he is in his mid-20s and he does old man kane um yeah so uh, but he yeah he produced it he uh co-wrote it he directed it he co-wrote it with a little man named Manco David Fincher. <laughs> um, David Fincher's dad. Yeah, he directed it, which is that's the craziest thing to me because of how influential the direction was. And this was just like a dude who hadn't really directed hardly anything mm-hmm. up to this point. Being John Man- Manco with the star of it. And he wasn't just like the, you know, the passive like main character. He had star power in it. Yeah. Like watching it, you're watching it thinking like this is like the guy of the 40s, right? This guy's in every movie. And it's like, no, he just was a director. Yep. who was, you know, he was in movies for sure. And especially later in his life when he was, you know, unrecognizable compared to this man because he was like so bloated and huge. Uh, like he was in tons of smaller things and like cameo roles, but Mike in this, he's like the guy, like he owns the movie. So a little bit of background before we talk more about Citizen Kane itself, uh, for the production of this, this was basically kind of like one of the first indie films. Uh, it was made for a pretty low budget. Orson Welles signed a deal with RKO, a three picture deal where he would, write direct star and produce the films which is kind of unprecedented full range for that time but rko just fully believed in this dude from his theater work and everything they're like this guy's a star we're gonna give him the keys um and this movie was uh received very mixed reviews upon its release a lot of people really hated it uh that did not like the central message of it the academy famously blackballed this movie 
Uh, it only won four screenplay, was the only win that it had. Famously lost to How Green Is My Valley, a John Ford film that is one of the most forgettable movies ever. We'll talk about that whenever we do my Oscar episode on Bad Beats. But it after this movie came out to mixed reviews, RKO pulled back some of their creative control for uh, Orson Welles. And they said, like, oh, no, maybe, like, you can't, maybe we won't let, let you do everything on this movie. But this is notably one of the only films, if not the only one, that he had a co-writer on with Mankiewicz. Mm-hmm. And this is his best one. Mm-hmm. So maybe, like, it, he, Orson Welles, if he would have worked with Mankiewicz a little bit more, we could have gotten even more all-time timeless classics. Not to say Orson Welles. I mean, he still has 1984 and a whole slew of other classic films. The Third Man. The Third Man. But nothing that has, like, been, has the same kind of notoriety level as Citizen Kane does. Yeah, so, like I said, I watched this for the first time, and this movie comes with so much weight to it. You know, like, you basically, you you go into it knowing it's supposed to be, like, one of the most... Uh, probably the most influential movie ever made. Uh, a lot of people say it's the best movie ever made. You know, Rosebud, you know, you, there's just this allure to it, more than allure, this mythology to it. And seeing it, it's like, it's so hard to watch it without thinking about all of that. So you can't just watch it as a movie. It's pretty much impossible. I mean, I, I, I guess you could engineer that somehow uh, if you show it to somebody who's very young and hasn't been exposed to like the history of cinema. Um, but in 2020, watching this movie, you know, going into mm-hmm. it, it's fucking Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that already is like kind of going against the grain of it a little bit to put so much weight on a movie and not being able to watch it just on its own. But for all the reasons that you just said, um, mainly like how kind of, uh, explosive it was on the scene at the time and how we were just saying it, it, it holds up. Like it doesn't crumble under that weight. Mm -hmm. It, It is able to, to bear the weight and stick with it. And I think that, um, you know, it's not really like the most kind of ex- uh, kind of life changing movie. Like, it's not like um, I wouldn't put it like something like 2001. Right. Like you watch 2001 and it's like, holy fuck. Like, this is like this is just breaking my fucking brain right now, you know? It's not it's not on that level, but I think that it is able to live up to yes. that high, high, high standard that it comes kind of burdened with. Yeah, I think that might be like the greatest achievement of the movie is that you watch you, if you watch this and Kane, you're still not like disappointed. Right. Like and that's unbelievable to say that's so rare that like it can have this much of a burden and a weight where you have Every person who knows movies ever, uh, with the exception of Pauline Kale, um, say like this movie is important and you must like it. And for it to still be good is kind of a testament yeah. to its power. And even even again, just to compare it to something like 2001, 2001 is a movie that like you watch it for the first time and you almost like don't know what you just watched. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait, what the hell? Um, and you kind of have to kind of 
think about it and like really analyze it and then maybe watch it a couple times. This one, one watch through, it's all there. Like yeah. you don't really have to interpret it or you know recontextualize it or or watch analysis videos yeah, that's or break the, it apart. Mm -hmm. You get it. That's what's so funny about the entire uh discourse around rosebud is that's not a subtextual interpretation thing like they're telling you what <laughs> yeah, rosebud yeah. is <laughs> and yet that's like one of the bigger mysteries of film history. it's just like no i mean it's like yeah it's sure like the loss of innocence but it's a sled like that's yeah it's also that. not what the movie's about no it's not well it it's not too because another good thing about this movie is that uh at no point, Charles Foster Kane never becomes a caricature of himself. Like, he mm -hmm. is still a man with depth, and you do still empathize with him, even if he does some really heinous things and is just objectively, like, not a very good person. There's a line at one point in the movie where he's just like, I think I could have been a good person if I wasn't so rich or something like sure. that along those lines, which is like, it's it's played up for a laugh, but there is kind of something to that that he was bred into this lifestyle to be kind of cutthroat and he just made out the best he could for himself um another thing about this movie is just i mean you talked about the cinematic themes but even there's just themes all over the place that you can be like oh this david fincher picks from the like over talking nature of the newsroom and everything of people talking over each other i was like this is like sorkin he just took all of this from this like there's so many little tidbits in this movie it's a movie filled with so many different ideas that makes sense that people of all different types of filmmaking can come to this and take something yeah like watch this and then watch wolf of wall street yes yeah oh my god the the dinner scene when the dancing girls yeah, come in yeah, the exactly. band comes in um, it's it's all there i mean obviously scorsese went a little bit yeah he went nuts raunchy with it, but. yeah but it's it's essentially the same bones um the yeah, the going back to the kind of the snappiness of it, um, the montages here, I feel like those are really fresh in this mm -hmm. time to to have like these quick scenes where you're just kind of whipping around and you know that you see all the newspaper headlines and you're just you're advancing, you're crushing through a lot of story, a lot of plot yeah. really, really quick. Um, even like the beginning of the movie, like you're you're basically told the entire story in like the first 15 minutes. Yep. You know everything that's going to happen. And then it kind of just goes back and fills in all of the details. That's I mean, they they even say it at one point while they're in there. And of course, the look of that whole opening sequence is beautiful, where it's all the like the newsmen there. They're just completely shrouded in shadow. You yeah. can't even see their faces. Of course, it looks gorgeous, but they're like, OK, yes, you told me like who charles foster kane is but you didn't really tell me like who he is like who was he as a person and that's what sets off of course the whole journey of like what is rosebud and asking all these people interviewing all these different people from uh kane's life which also kind of creates this unreliable narrator thing like everybody's depiction of kane and their own flashbacks is a little bit different from each other which is a credit not only to the writing, but also to Orson Welles' performance that he's able to kind of yes. fine tune these little things that come out more for different people from different people's perspectives of him. Um, the ceilings in the sets. Is this the first movie to show ceilings? <laughs> so I feel like it's very early on. I, I mean, there's a lot of foreign films at this time that do stuff like that. But yes, it's I, very early. Yeah, on. I feel like pre 40s. They just didn't have ceilings. 
because that's that's where they put the lights. Right. They would just build sets without a ceiling. So there's so many scenes that show the ceiling, and you're just like, huh, they didn't do this back then <laughs> for ceiling movie. Mm. <laughs> is that is that your number one takeaway is the first ceiling movie they look great they do look great i mean the look of xanadu this mountain castle that he built for himself is just unbelievable especially at the end when you see how much shit he has he's oh, like yeah. he's bigger than god like he just buys like just greek and roman statues like it's fucking nothing um going back to kind of the political side of things because i feel like that's what most people who watch this movie now in 2020 for the first time that's going to be their biggest takeaway that was one of my biggest takeaways watching it right now about kind of crazy about how like if you control the media dot 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 like that's that whole theme resonates throughout there is uh, a i mean it happens early on where they're talking about how we need to crank out more news and they're like, oh, no, the the Chronicle is not for pushing out gossip. And they're like, we can make gossip news. Yeah. And it's like that is the news cycle right now that we are in. Very Trumpian. There's another part uh, where <laughs> they show a newspaper that lifts up without telling you yet uh, who won this election that he was in. One of them says Kane wins. And they're like, no, but I think we got to call it. We got to put the other one. And they put out the other news, the other newspaper. It says fraud at the polls. And I was like, genius. dear God, this is getting too real to right now. In real life. I mean, it's genius. It's it is. So like, it's so on the pulse, mm-hmm. you know, and some things never change. And I think the, the greatest artists understand that and that's why something like this can stand the test of time because he knew what made america america and and at the turn of the century and like you know right around pre-war era kind of what the myth of america was and how a man could take hold of that and and wrangle it into his own myth and how one man could become as big as the story of a whole nation mm-hmm. and uh, and of power and influence and all these things i i think it's absolutely magnificent i again it's fucking citizen king yeah it's just <laughs> i i mean i will say like this is uh because i've seen some after like watching a lot of older movies and especially a lot of other like older foreign movies specifically this year, I'm not trying to say this to sound like a fucking film snob, but um, like it is kind of crazy how he brings like this expressionistic type of filmmaking approach to America that just did not exist. Like if you watch movies before this, it's like very linear down the middle. It's overwritten at times. This movie isn't really overwritten. It's, written i mean there's specifically the jigsaw puzzle that Susie's putting together and this movie is written like a jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. maybe it's on the nose the metaphor but that's that's what it is so now with mank um if you don't know essentially mank is a biopic of the guy who wrote citizen kane um but it's directed by david fincher so really the reason why we wanted to do the episode around all this is just kind of to to have seen citizen kane and to kind of you know, get ourselves ready for Mank and try to sort of see like, well, we, we know that, that Fincher loved his father and he, this is in a lot of ways, a movie for his father and continuing the passion project that his father had, but also kind of what the through line might be here and, and what 
Fincher's desire to tell this story might be. Um, because the other big thing that, you know, we haven't really brought up is that there is a lot of controversy around the making of Citizen Kane and who wrote it and, mm-hmm. and how much um, the final film actually had from Mankiewicz's uh, screenplay and and how much Orson Welles uh, was able to work and rewrite that screenplay. There's a lot of sort of uh, conflicting tales about that. And I, I feel like that's what Mank is going to be about, about kind of that struggle and like the, the, you know, pull for control over what the final movie would be. Um, well, this movie is also, so Mank is also Jack Fincher wrote it cause he was inspired by a piece that Pauline Kale, very famous, uh, film critic, one of the greatest film critics ever, uh, wrote a takedown of Citizen Kane um, in the 70s, I believe. Uh, yeah, 1971, she wrote it, and it's called Raising Kane. Um, I've read parts of it. It's like, it, it's not, it's kind of petty at certain parts, as much as I love Pauline Kale, and she's vastly influential, and I mean, she's very well-spoken or well-written, I should say. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that she's saying in the piece, but that's what inspired Jack Fincher to write this, to begin writing the story of Mank, is kind of trying to open up this box that was previously closed of, like, investigating who wrote this, uh, who wrote this film that's now lauded as one of the greatest masterpieces of our time. We'll see how accurate it is to... You know, yeah, I'm already ready of... for like people to come out and just be like, people are taking down Orson Welles and we have to defend him. It's like Orson Welles is fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think been that dead for a it's, while. It's really interesting because David Fincher hasn't ever really shown much interest in doing like like Hollywood films, like yeah. films about Hollywood, any sort of meta thing like that. Um, but we're about to do like our top five Fincher films and he is always interested in telling a story that is about getting to the bottom of the story mm-hmm. like getting to yep. the, the yeah like the base truth of what actually happened even if it's like a totally fictional you know thing that he crafted himself his stories are about what's true um so it, it is going to be really fun to watch i don't know if he's as interested in expressing a full truth as his father was um so it's going to be fun to see you know what he changes about what his dad wrote you know it's 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 gonna be fun i'm excited for it yeah i mean just just looking at fincher's career chronologically it's so interesting for this to fit where it where it does because i i feel like you know the last so he he does social network in 2010 then girl with the dragon 2 in 11 gone girl 14 and now mank and it's like you know is Fincher going in in a direction where he's interesting himself in doing kind of more down the middle type stuff like more I mean I don't know there's nothing down the middle about Gone with the uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo but Social Network and, and Gone Girl in comparison with his earlier work seems to be kind of aimed at more of like an approachable kind of mainstreamish sort of audience. And I'm curious to see if Mank is going to kind of fall in with that or be more of like a girl, girl with the dragon tattoo that is like extremely jagged and like fucking 
just fucked up, you know? I, I doubt it. I don't think it'll be fucked up, but I do think it won't be for everybody mm-hmm. just because the subject matter isn't inherently interesting to people. The movie name Mank kind of gives away a good amount to me because that's not what you would call a movie that you want people to watch. Mm-hmm. Right. Straight yeah. up. Like, that's that why not it's an odd choice that it's a Netflix movie. I mean, I yeah, Netflix just opened up the bag for me. It's like, yeah. okay, he already has an established relationship Mind there. Mindhunter, yeah. Mindhunter and, I mean, we can move, kind of transition this into our David Fincher discussion because we're just doing top five movies, but... David Fincher is so much more than just a movie director. Like he, of course, is done Mindhunter now that he wrote and directed and kind of show runs like that show, even though he doesn't direct any episodes in season two, it very much just feels of a David Fincher piece. Um, He also is one of the reasons for Netflix's original boom, because he directed the first episode of House of Cards. Like he really got that going and that was the first flagship show that and Orange is the New Black are what got Netflix on its feet. Um, so we're doing top five. Oh, and then, of course, also he has a background in commercials and music video work. Oh, that's I, how I got started. Yeah, I was going to say um, I invite anybody to go and watch some of his uh, music videos that he watched, some of his Madonna music videos and stuff. It's just like unbelievable the crap that's in them. It mm-hmm. kind of made me miss music videos. I feel like good music videos just don't get made as much anymore. I, they do. They just don't. They don't have the kind of importance. Yeah. Or there's like once or one or two a year where it's like, oh, Spike Jones put out a music video for somebody like that. So we're doing top five. Yeah. Is that the plan? I think. Are we all going to have the same movies in our top five? Probably. I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> we've also most we don't most of these we've already talked about at like decent length. Yeah. Because this I mean, this dude rocks hard. He's <laughs> so, our boy. He's yeah. our guy. I mean, I. Part of me is a little worried about Mank because, like, I've been let down this year a couple times already. Kaufman, Nolan, like, those movies didn't really live up to the hype. So I'm trying to kind of, like, quell my expectations a little bit and not, like, put all my chips in Mank to kind of bring it home for 2020. But he makes movies unlike anybody else. His shit yeah. is just on another fucking you know, stratosphere. It's, it's been a great year and I think he's going to cap it off with something even better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I almost I feel the same way about David Fincher as I do like remember we were talking about uh before the Tame Impala album came out this year where it's just like I'm going to like it. Like the worst case scenario is I'm like that was good. Right. Like that's it's not he's not going to make a bad movie. Yeah. Nolan, I was never like I've never felt that way with Christopher Nolan, and I personally love which, I'm thinking of ending things. So. Which brings us to num- my number one, the curious case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, uh, my number one's Alien Three. Hmm, it's crazy. Um, um you want to start, Ernie? Yeah. So, um, at five, I have a movie I just watched last night. Rewatched uh, Seven. Uh, fucking banger movie. Yeah. Yeah. We can wait a second. Yeah, we can. We can wait a second. Um. If you haven't listened to our our list episodes, what we do is we wait until we've all mentioned it. If we all have it on our list, to mm-hmm. have a discussion. Yeah. So what's your five? Huh? My number five is Fight Club. So is mine actually. Okay. I have that at four. Okay, so we can go ahead and do Fight Club now, and then I also I have seven. At so four. was I, this I have seven at four too? Okay. <laughs> was this a so seven came first? Seven yes. was nineteen ninety. 95 uh, mid 90s 95 yeah. 95 and then it, fight club was 99 yes 90s. um so with uh fight club or i guess let's do seven first because seven seven was that a big commercial hit 
Uh, it was a hit. I mean, this was before Brad Pitt was a star. Morgan Freeman was established. David Fincher, uh, famously before this, after Alien 3 and the debacle that happened on that, he said he would never direct another movie. And then um, the screenwriter, uh, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, um, who wrote this movie, uh, came to him and showed him this script. And he was like, I Andrew have to Andrew Kevin this. Walker. Yes. Um he showed him the script and David Fincher was just like, I have to make this into a movie. Like, this is just like calling me. If I'm going to get back into movies, I'm going to make this. And he reinvented the genre. He reinvented what yeah. the crime genre. This is a was. dirty, slimy thriller, crime thriller. Um, of course, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Dark. It's dour. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, it I, has like one of the most memorable final 15 minutes What's of in any the box? Movie ever made <laughs> yeah it owns and beyond that it's just like it has some really well done kind of thrilling uh crime action scenes you know yeah. whether you're in a foot chase with brad pitt or you're with morgan freeman in a fucking gross crime scene like mm -hmm. he's able to really put you there with this uh this duo this this detective duo um and kind of the horrific series of serial killer murders that they're investigating yeah. this and is it's a good shot uh i guess double shots not even shot chaser but this and silence of the lambs together yeah. because they both uh are sort of like a rosetta stone for unlocking an entire like two decades of crime television that came afterward uh and also like just like a crazy spawn of imitator movies that came within like the like the wake of like five years after but like television is still like these two movies television is still uh, unbelievably influenced uh by the style and the just like the dreary tone of these movies um the way that the mysteries unfurl over the course of the episode or movie it it, it just rules though it's obviously done better than any of the shows that try to imitate it uh, along with silence of the lambs it it rocks really really fucking hard um it's it's really fun to watch Pitt and Freeman together. Yeah. It's it's sort of a combo that like you wouldn't really you wouldn't if if you knew about their entire career separate from it you would never be like, "Oh, I want to see them two together." <laughs> You'd never think, but uh they work. Yeah, I mean, this is before Brad Pitt really becomes a superstar or anything like that too. 95 is before he has like his huge huge breakthrough. Like a lot of people for audiences this is the first time seeing them. Also, I know he wasn't as big at the time, but I think the first time I saw this movie was in high school. And the fact that Kevin Spacey is in this movie and he doesn't show up until the hour and a half mark. He's nowhere. He was nowhere on the posters or on anything like that. He wasn't in the trailer for this movie. He's also not in the opening credits. Yes. That's like such a genius move. Like that's kind of shit would not happen anymore. Grant, Kevin Spacey wasn't kevin spacey as we know him today well, he One, was already he kaiser Soze, right um that's the same year he yeah. had a big 1995 usual suspects outbreak and seven all came out the same year yeah so you can't you can't tell him spacey's in there uh especially people i don't know the dates that they came out but if they've seen usual suspects yeah. you can't tell him spacey's in there and then like this mm, fucker. is he the bad guy i wonder <laughs> <laughs> like he's just so transparently evil <laughs> like once he gains the entire world's trust in that movie and then breaks it you know <laughs> He's um, so he's so effective as this despicable fucking murderer. Like it works, man. I know that 
in in this day and age he's a real life horrible person but as john doe is like it's you're it's looking terrifying. at him you're like, like he fuck is this guy it is honestly it's so terrifying it's really cool like the themes of this movie have aged really well of just like somebody like there it, this makes sense that this would have been some type of a serial killer like in especially in like the boom of serial killers post mansons and like the early 70s and stuff like that that there would be somebody who's just like i'm god's messenger to like mm-hmm. i'm filling all these notebooks the seven deadly sins and stuff like that like it works really well it this movie has like an odor to it at certain points yeah. like while you're like watching certain scenes like it is it's pungent yeah i mean it's screen. stuff it's stuff that you don't forget you know like mm-hmm. i hadn't seen this movie in so long and as soon as i was in the middle of it like the scenes just rushed into my memory because mm-hmm. they were so it, it's staggering like that the scene where they find the the sloth murder oh, that yeah. that guy like holy fuck Ugh. you don't forget that it it is it yeah. is uh grimy it is mm. off-putting it also is shout out to Gwyneth up. Paltrow in this movie yeah just Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow just want to have a nice her pretty head. nice relationship Go to with... com. <laughs> um so fight club <laughs> Yeah, Fight Club is Mean Hunters Five Year Four. Uh, we just talked, or you brought this up recently. You just rewatched it a little while. I think ago. it was my first time watching it. Really, um, I really want to revisit this. I didn't get a chance to before um, this podcast, but I I will get to it. It's it's, it's, it's a great movie. It's undeniably like super entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one thing that will never age about the movie. Is it just it's just fun to watch? Uh, spoilers not withholding. Like you can know the the spoil. Um, and it's still very entertaining to yeah. watch. Uh, the the thing that held it back for me is that there are like a a non a not insignificant number of shots in which uh, Fincher's ambitions outpaced uh, technology at the time. Yeah, Absolutely. some of the CGI and stuff there, like yeah, that. Yeah, there's it's, some shots that are like re- like David. This it's the same thing in the game in Panic Room. At the, Panic Room at is the, way that, too much. Panic Room yeah. is just like it's him trying like he is setting the stage for everything that he wants to do, but technology wasn't there yet. Yeah. Should have done a uh, James Cameron. <sighs> just waited 10 years to release his movie. Um I still like I really this is number five on my list and I still give this movie four and a half stars on Letterboxd. Like I still fucking love this movie. Yeah. I mentioned it earlier about it's crazy to me how misunderstood this movie is that like jocks watch this movie and love it and they just don't take like the most basic message across. And maybe it's also because I know Chuck uh, Chuck Palahniuk, um, his work and stuff. He is like. He's a gay author who like it works. A lot of his stories are to like investigate mental illness and like toxic masculinity. And you can tell that that's what David Fincher was really latched onto whenever he got this screenplay, because it's so much of an indictment on these people. Like there, there's nothing about this story that's framed in any kind of a positive light whatsoever. Mm. But it's also just like, it's so well done. And I mean, it's one of my favorite Ed Norton performances ever. I he is so so good in this movie, and of course Brad Pitt. I like Brad Pitt in Seven a little bit more because he has a little bit more layers, but he's still so good. In I this. like I like him in this better because I don't think he's replaceable in this. He's mm. he's very hot in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Durden's just like one of those all time <laughs> characters. Hey, shout out to Meatloaf too. Yeah, <laughs> meatloaf and all of his boobs <laughs> his boobs that he has in this movie it's really good i really like uh helena bonham carter in this movie of too course. it's just like somebody who's like 
almost just as broken as Edward Norton is in this movie. Like that they both just I mean, it happened like very early on the movie. They just like both go to like testicular cancer meetings and tuberculosis meetings just to like cry to feel something to like feel alive. Just tells you something about Fincher, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It really makes you. He's always putting shit like that in his movies. Like he's 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 a weird fuck yeah it is it's i mean i invite anybody every time that i watch this movie like i take something different from it i forgot uh the editing of this movie like how it is i used to have uh like in like early high school days like pretty bad uh sleep apnea insomnia kind of stuff and that whole like idea of how it's edited where it's like almost seeing like flashing images like hallucinating mm-hmm. at certain points and stuff like that is captured so well it's very cool. the way that it the movie like plays with you there's one point where they talk about um how tyler durden uh he's like works with like film and he just like puts in like one little (laughs) one frame of like a pornographic movie in the middle of a children's film and stuff like that and there's little bits like that all throughout this movie where it's flashing images it's very fun it's it's so cool so the next three um we, I, I guarantee you, we all have the same three. We, I just don't know which order we all have them. The in. order is going to vary. What's your number three? Gone Girl. My number three is also Gone Girl. <laughs> no, no. Hell yeah. No, brother. <laughs> my number three is um, Zodiac. Actually, yeah, it's my oh. two. Oh no, I'm gonna. That's that's my number one. Mm. Okay, so we have we have all three slightly all mixed different. Up. Yeah. I mean, let's just go in order then. Let's just go Zodiac, uh, Social Network, Gone Girl. Okay. Like chronologically, so, yeah. Yeah. So Zodiac, um, we um a little while ago we talked about um the year two thousand seven and how great of a movie year that is. Michael Clayton, uh, there will be blood, ratatouille, no yeah, country for old men. We're gonna talk about like how two thousand seven was a fucking banger. And also Zodiac. Um, and I mean Zodiac, like you could easily make the argument that it's the best movie of 2007 and i would hear it and you could also make the argument that's the best david fincher movie and i would hear it i think it's fucking just gargantuan it tells such a sprawling story and i think that it's it's so much of what fincher's interested in like it's basically like he stopped dancing around he start he stopped he stopped pussyfooting around and he just made the movie that he wanted to make about the Zodiac Killer, about the entire story that surrounds that unsolved case. The reporters, the cops, like everybody that just got kind of consumed by this thing. Um, and you can tell he's incredibly fascinated and he just knocked it out of the out of the park making a movie about it. Ruffalo, RDJ, Hall, just all nailed it yes. it's such such a well done movie it's a movie that like so i also this past week i also watched spotlight uh which is gonna be a weird comparison aside from the mark ruffalo thing but i'm saying that because this is also an ensemble piece like a spotlight is but unlike spotlight like it almost like it focuses in on every character. You feel like you get enough time. Like I fully understand the RDJ character. I fully understand uh, the Mark Ruffalo character. And I definitely understand uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I, we were talking about Jake Gyllenhaal um, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Donnie Darko. Like this is the best Jake Gyllenhaal performance. Like this and Nightcrawler are just like, it's, 
he has so many levels to this and Jake Gyllenhaal's character in this movie makes me think like David Fincher wrote that like as himself where it's just kind of where he gets so obsessive about everything about trying to investigate stuff he has his kids helping him solve the case (laughs) and looking through files and stuff like that it's insane I had this lore on my list until I just rewatched it a couple days ago and it shopped to number one because this is just a movie about process and that is everything that Fitcher does so well better than anybody else's process and it's just it's being it's, consumed by process. it's perfect and it's just it's constantly like I've seen this movie multiple times and like just like kind of putting the pieces together again like you feel like you are on the case trying to like decipher the codes and every person who comes in as a suspect you are actually like with in the room with them trying to figure out if they are guilty or not of being the zodiac killer Mm -hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't like try to kind of make you lean in any way you know it leaves it open without you being dissatisfied that there weren't any sure answers well, it's about how there aren't any sure answers. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and I get enough of a sure answer from the movie of who it is, you know, just like Robert Graysmith does at yeah. the end. Um, the, I mean, that, that is, guy's that guy's performance is so Yeah, that guy good. rocks. Classic, it's, it's a classic that it's, guy. Yeah. I, I know I knew his name because I just talked about this movie and it rocks. So it's man, I wish I knew. There's, uh, there's just no way to find out. Is it Dermot? John. Is it Dermot Mulroney? No, <laughs> I think it's John Carroll Lynch. Yes, is it, it's John is it Philip Lynch. Baker Hall. Jesus, it's John Carroll Lynch. He's so so. Yeah. He's a great character actor. Um, and the the movie as a whole is yeah, it's gar- like you said, it's just big. Like it just there's so many years, so many characters. It's a long movie. It's long as shit. It has to be though. Yeah, because it's such a big story yeah like the, the the only reason it fell in my rankings a bit is because on on my most recent rewatch i was feeling a bit like uh the guy who adapted the actual book by the actual robert Graysmith. his name's james vanderbilt and i felt at times the way i felt watching the irishman which is that he was being a little too interested in the hyper specifics of the case rather than characters yeah and there is like plenty of great character stuff but there were times where i was like We've been an hour without seeing this guy, and I want to see him again. Well, yeah, I mean, like, Ruffalo kind of takes over the movie in the back half. So if you're not kind of about the movie sort of pivoting towards that character and him sort of, like, taking over for a little while, you are going to feel like, okay, where where are we going right now? Because you, you are, like you said, like, you are in Gyllenhaal's shoes and for Gyllenhaal to kind of take a back seat for such a big period of the movie, it is a little jarring, but that's the nature of the story that's being told. It's not just about one guy. It really is just that it's almost like three different movies, like three different shorter movies, each from their own perspective. And that way it's kind of like the place beyond the pines where it's just like it like switches perspectives at like central points in the movie. It's kind of the same thing that this does, because at the very beginning, you think RDJ might just be the guy. RDJ is like in every scene, he's kind of just like running the show with his and running himself into the ground with his alcoholism. Um, just goddamn, I miss good RDJ. I hope he gets back to this post Iron Man. Do little. That's <sighs> not going to bring not it a, back. Not a great sign. This is this Things is. Come. I think this is just like the best Ruffalo we could ever ask for. Oh yeah, Ruffalo. So, he's so good in this movie. He, he, he just looks like he's him. from the seventies. 
Yeah, I I just I adore this movie. Like every time that I watch this movie, you're right that it is long, but I never find this movie drags. Like never at any point. I like if anything, I'm like, I could go for another 20 minutes of just investigating this story. <laughs> yeah. Like put me in here. I want to just put more of these jigsaw pieces together. So uh social network. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's fine. It's a good movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, we talked about this. I think that this is number two on it was number two or number three on my uh, movies of the year list. Yeah, I was up movies there. of the decade. I think. Yeah, it was definitely top five. I have this at number one. I could I could easily trade this out for Zodiac. I, I just have it at one just because it's like it's a movie that shouldn't work mm-hmm. like. You you. You just wouldn't think that a movie about the making of Facebook would be as good as this movie is. You know, we've we've talked about this movie several times. Everybody's talked about this movie. It's like one of the most important movies of the last 15, 20 years. Um, I think the reason why it is such an undeniable kind of um, uh, home run is just because he makes it look so easy. Mm hmm. You know, you watch this movie and it's just it just feels so effortless and it shouldn't work. You shouldn't have a movie about Mark Zuckerberg and like coding at Harvard be so good. And it just is it just everything about it is just elevated to a degree that um, I just don't think anybody else could do. Like it had to be Fincher. Sorkin and Fincher. Yeah. It's God. I just, I wish that they could work together more because there is like, I mean, like as much, I really love Gone Girl, but these are like definitely my top two and they kind of flip flop between the two because I think that this is just like Fincher and Sorkin bring out the best in each other. This is such a talky movie and it's something that hurts a lot of Sorkin movies, especially the last few years that he's tried to get into directing is that they become kind of over-invested in the dialogue and not so much with the story or with the characters. But Fincher perfectly realizes, like, to make characters out of everyone except for Jesse Eisenberg. Like, they... (laughs) That's the thing, is that it's Mark Zuckerberg, they realize that he is kind of a robot and that he has something off in his brain socially. And Fincher knows how to capitalize that and just showcase him, like, as a machine and not a human being and yeah and to have uh garfield in there to mm-hmm. kind of bounce off of that dynamic is extremely effective um of course trent reznor atticus ross just yeah. like all-time legendary i still score. listen to this film score constantly yeah. i have in our spotify wrapped uh the year uh i still have the uh one of the main themes of this and just mm-hmm. showed up in my playlist jt timberlake mm-hmm. the man man of the woods Army Hammer is dual role. Can't say enough, but I want more good Army Hammer um, and Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. And now uh, Gone Girl. So you have Gone Girl number one, Drew? Yeah, I do. Damn. It's my, it's my favorite. It's not the social network's better. Totally. Right. Like, that, easily. I, you, you could make the case for Gone Girl. Gone Girl's know? just stupider. Like, it's it's it has a lot of dumb stuff in it, particularly the ending. The first time I watched Gone Girl, I was very not happy with how it ends because it ends on like a very farcical note like, yeah it's it, a downer it, it, well it's not even just a downer it it's not possible how it ends. <laughs> it doesn't it like logically doesn't make sense and obviously the whole movie is so absurd but like 
for it to end with her just being a murderer and they're just like gonna live together that just doesn't in no in no amount of layers away from reality yeah. does that happen you know it's trying to go for like a poetic like cyclical type yeah of it's thing. not it's not really realistic like yeah. that's not how uh gillian flynn wrote the yeah. book well either. and the, the reason that this is my favorite fincher movie is because his unbelievable meticulousness uh combined with the performances in this movie which are just like unreal <sighs> Uh, combined with the color palette of the movie, like the the very like pastel blues, uh, you know, just suburban like like lighter tones, uh, and then very importantly, combined with the soundtrack, yeah, it, again, this, Atticus and um, yeah, uh, so, Reznor. So all that, uh, when you put all that in the blender, along with the fact that this movie is very much three movies, like it's it's not even debatable. Like it has such wild tonal shifts and plot shifts. Uh, it feels like a dream to watch. Like it literally, it, it has dream logic to it. And that's what, how I've kind of come to grips with the ending in particular. Like this is just an insane fucking movie. <laughs> like it, it's, it feels impressionistic by the end of it because yeah. you've been taken through. So it, it starts with such hyper reality. Like it's one of the most realistic depictions of a murder or like a missing person's case that I've ever seen in film. And then we remove one layer of reality, you know, when we get the absurd realization that she's actually run away and like staged her own murder. Uh, and then we, you know, we move even farther away from that when she becomes just a fucking uh, serial killer, basically. Um, it, it's just a blast. Like, I, I love it so much. I love watching it. I love showing it to people yeah. and seeing how they react, whether or not they like really love it. It's mm -hmm. just fun because they're, they're watching the whole movie like, wait, what? <laughs> also, also, it is the best Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck is yeah. so fucking good in this movie. Like, it's I honestly, you know what? The director's commentary for Gone Girl is the number one thing that David Fincher has ever done. <laughs> if it, nobody it's has legendary. listened to it, I'm just saying. Even if you're not a director's commentary person, listen to it. It's just David Fincher dunking on Ben Affleck for like oh, two yeah. and a half hours and just talking about how like this movie is actually a metaphor for Ben Affleck's career. Yeah. <laughs> how he, he wouldn't so wear good. the fucking Yankees hat. Yeah. yeah, he gets so pissed in the commentary just it's talking hilarious. about it. It's so good. Um, of course, Rosamund Pike is so good. I still can't believe that she lost the Oscar at Julianne Moore for Still Alice. Mm. That will never sit right for me ever. It's really hard to like remain being Alice though. It's one, <laughs> it's one thing to be Alice. But she's still alice she kept on being alice for like a long time i it's uh, it's just it's so it's ethereal to me like it, it captures something that's uh harder to capture in film than almost anything else also i feel like any other director would have adapted this book into like something extremely conventional yeah and exactly. by the numbers they would have shown the twist in the trailer like it would have been yeah it would have been just kind of this like the choice to tell it the way it is told mm. is very Fincher-esque because he understands how movies work and what people want out of a good movie. Mm. Yeah. And any other director would have been like, oh, people are going to want to see the crazy ass shit up front. We're going to give you that movie from the jump. We're going to tell you exactly what you're going to get. And he withholds because... He knows that that's part of the fun. Yeah, exactly. There, there are so many choices he made that I mean, because he's the only guy who would have brought Reznor and Ross into this. Right. Yeah, and they, they, their soundtrack adds so much. Like it's very intentionally dreamlike uh, how it feels. By the way, they scored the upcoming Pixar movie Soul. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is I think Christmas Eve maybe mm -hmm. comes out. 
Um, but yeah, they're just there are a million little things that only he could have done in this. And uh, putting I, um, putting uh, Emrata in there. Listen, I I'm just saying a bunch of words here, but it's all because her titties. <laughs> it <in> is this <laughs> movie. <laughs> just incredible. Um, it is very like Fincher isn't really known for like a twist guy. Like so maybe maybe movies. it's because <laughs> maybe it's because he's not like M Night Shyamalan. Like he doesn't write scripts. Like yeah. famously, Fincher just directs. He does not write anything. So maybe that's why he isn't really known for it. Also, he's better than just the twists in his movie. The twists are like a side effect of the good yeah, film he's that not he's making. Spielberg, but twists. But like, when you when Shyamalan. you think of like, <laughs> yeah, whenever you think of like Fight Club, Seven, The Game, like <laughs> Gone yeah. Girl, like these all are Big like time. twist movies. Yeah, it 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 just it rocks and it. It does play to his strengths because he is really good at misleading his audience when he needs to be mm-hmm. um yeah and I, I you know i love this movie even though it's like it has a lot of it has a lot more flaws than social network social network objectively is like one of the best movies i've ever seen like yeah. top five probably it's a miracle of a movie yeah. yeah um what are you hold on a second when you say flaws do you mean <laughs> tyler perry <laughs> because i hope you don't no I mean, uh, no, Tyler Perry's awesome, actually. Casey okay. Wilson is, a, she's hamming it up a little bit as like Carrie Coon. As the dumb Southern neighbor, the pregnant lady. That's right. Neil Patrick Harris is great in this movie. Yeah. It's funny because Neil Patrick Harris, like, he gets his role flipped. He's always like the charismatic dude in this. He's like, we need you to be the beta. Also, <laughs> like, um, we got to shout out Scoot every time we bring this movie up. Yes. He has one scene. He's <laughs> shout like out the, Scoot. He's like the guy who's like, she made, she made me become a sexual predator drew you have the best list because you have representation for both the leftovers and halt and catch fire in this movie so yeah. it is number one That's uh true. shout out to um girl with the dragon tattoo a depraved fucking i still need to see that i really like fucked the, up i really like the original um i believe swedish film that i've seen before um i talked about the game and panic room uh I haven't seen either of those. I need to check them out. They're both really good. Um, I'll be honest. I know there's been some like people trying to rehash uh, is curious case of Benjamin Button, David Fincher's best film. I don't have time for that argument. It's Whenever I planned fine. on doing this rewatch in lead up a bank, I planned on skipping over Benjamin Button. I saw it once and that was good enough for me. It's a six out of ten in my book. That's mm. what I have. it. It's like it's objectively good movie. It yeah. looks very pretty. Uh, if you hit like the hour uh, 30, hour 40 mark, uh, Brad Pitt is very hot in it. So I haven't even seen it. But to me, it seems like a movie that would be better if you watch it on like 1.25 times speed. Is that right? <laughs> it's, it's so long. It Maybe no. Like there's a lot of just like yeah. they need, sitting around. They <laughs> need to put that movie. Uh, is that on Netflix? Because, you know, on yeah. Netflix, you can change the times. Yeah. They need to. <laughs> Netflix things. needs a feature where you can watch a movie in reverse. <laughs> you just start it from the end. Is Netflix That's should, how you watch. Netflix should basically uh, do VHS. Is if what you, you're saying? <laughs> if you watch Curious Case of Benjamin Button in reverse, they reveal who the Zodiac killer is. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then the alien fucking xenomorph it, comes out of Brad Pitt. If anything, you talked about Mank and being a little bit concerned about Mank. I'm more optim. I'm still like I'm. I'm optimistic for it. The only reservation I have is that the only time that. Fincher ever tried to make a quote unquote Oscar movie was Curious Case of Benjamin right. Button, and Did I think that work. is his worst movie. Yeah, this is a different type of Oscar movie, but it still is 
a movie about Hollywood. It's black and white. It's, it's a biopic in a certain aspect ratio to look just like it's Citizen yeah. Kane. And I, I'm still, I'm still optimistic for it. But there's so that. before we wrap up, um, I hope this doesn't take too much time. But I wanted to see if we could do a little bit of a mini game here. Okay. The Fincher Oscars. So let's see if we can quickly award uh, the main Oscars to only Fincher movies. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I I wrote, I didn't write down like every award that the Oscar gives out. Just kind of like the big five or whatever. Yeah. I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. So best animated film, (laughs) best, best visual effects. I mean, um, if we're doing it like at the time, like something like Fight Club, just because like back okay. then it was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. Are we are we dating it like to like for how it looked at the time? Is that a thing? I think I feel like we almost have to. Which which has like the that. best visual effects of all of his movies? Um, I'd probably say probably say Fight Club. Honestly, okay. I mean, that, that has the most visual effects. OK. OK. Except for like Panic Room. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. doing like production design, I would I would go but. with Zodiac just because that movie has a ton of VFX that are completely. Invisible. I was going to say that's like for production design. Wait, what about Benjamin Button? That, that is, yeah, you know what? That probably does. One that is effects. a good effect. Yeah. yeah, that is a great we, visual effect. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Benjamin Button, congratulations! Best you baby. you got a you got a Fincher Oscar. Best you got old one man baby. What what's next? Cinematography. I'd probably say I'd probably say Zodiac. Zodiac or Social Network. Zodiac is, is like wildly I think good. Zo- looks Zodiac amazing. looks like it was like in the 70s. Zodiac, yeah, Zodiac so wins for me actually. I love the way it looks more than anything. I I got to I got to give a shout out to 7. Just rewatching it like mm, yeah. it really wowed me some of the shots that he does. There's one shot in particular like before Spacey is even revealed at all where you see it it's probably not even spacey it's probably a stand-in but it's when he's pointing the gun at brad pitt in the rain in that puddle and it's the gun in the fucking foreground and john doe in the background totally like in shadow and i was like fuck yeah fincher holy shit um (laughs) best editing fight club okay yeah club. it's a lot of editing <laughs> most editing <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's the most i think that it actually goes social network for this for the best editing yeah it's it's got it's so snappy to it. yeah like it's not fight club is i mean there's still impeccable editing that it is so watchable and i think that kind of it's adds just to yeah it how cool because the thing with fight club is for me the move the it leans a lot more on that than social social network is good no matter what because it's yeah. just so good that's Whereas fair. like Fight Club without its its editing is a lot worse, I think. Like a lot. Best screenplay. Um it's social network. Yeah, yeah, just on a technical level. Yeah. Like my favorite can be Gone Girl, but that's the best one. Supporting Support- actor and actress. Supporting. <sighs> um I guess with a- let's do actress first. Paltrow. In seven? Yeah. Carrie yeah. Coon. Is it- I Roseman Pike is in too much of the movie. No, she's the star, and she um, wins Best Actress. Yes. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. Uh, supporting Actress. I'm trying to think. I, Yeah, I guess We're, it Helena, is. Helena Bonham Carter, maybe? Helena oh, Bonham she's Carter really is good, great. Man. Yeah, she's actually, awesome that's a good Club. one. Fight Club. Yeah, she's really yeah. good. Uh, supporting Actor. 
Um, there's a lot of cold leads in his movies. Like it's, it's not Jared Leto. <laughs> it's not Jared. Like Pitt, Pitt and Morgan Freeman, Freeman in Seven are, I would say, um, are co-leads. Yeah, they, you can't pick one. Uh, Pitt and Norton in Fight Club are co-leads. Um, maybe, maybe we could go with like uh, Ruffalo and Zodiac. Would that be supporting he, if Gyllenhaal's the lead? It's, or is that also another co-lead? Maybe RDJ. Yeah, RDJ. RDJ. I think He's RDJ great. is is great, especially because this that. was a big comeback moment for him. I would actually, maybe I would, I would actually probably go Garfield in Social Network. Oh, he's awesome. He's a, and that's a solid. He's definitely yeah. supporting. Yeah. yeah, he rocks. I'm cool with that for sure. Then best actress, obviously Rosamund Pike. Yeah, that's that's no question. <laughs> Although, um. Rooney Mara in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is really fucking good, even if that movie isn't like great. We have uh, any time for Jodie Foster in Panic Room? Panic Room is a flawed movie, but Jodie Foster is fucking great in Panic Room. Best actor? Ben Affleck? <laughs> Dude, I... <laughs> I do love Ben Affleck. What do you want me to say? He's my favorite, okay? He's my favorite. Honestly, Ben Affleck is so good. I think that it's... I know the answer here is Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. But I think I, Brad, I think Brad Pitt in Seven is the best performance. That, like, it might be, like, his best performance. By the way, I'm going to go ahead and assert, I think that they would be able to run Pitt in Fight Club as a supporting, and I would okay. give it to him. Sure. Because Norton is the surrogate for us, even though he is That's Pitt. true. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, they, the Oscars could, could definitely Pitt, do Pitt's that. Pitt's face is bigger in the poster. <laughs> I wonder why. Well, just, Ed Norton has like a stick face. <laughs> That's the most unbelievable thing about Fight Club. Ed Norton is not getting into fights with people. He's look definitely at, not look at starting him. like an international organization, <laughs> yeah. terrorist look organization. Look at that guy. That guy is not. He looks like a little weasel person. Best um, director. Best actor. I did want to also give a shout out to Michael Douglas in the game. Oh, okay. He is great in the game. Um, he really carries that movie. Best director. <sighs> David Fincher. Fincher, (laughs) That's a hard one, but I mean, I would, I would give it to Social Network, but I mean, fucking any, like, yeah, I was gonna say, I really like his direction Zodiac a lot. Yeah, um, but Social Network's Uh, also good. I really like his direction in the Gone Girl commentary track. Yes, I like the way that that. he directs his mouth (laughs) to say, make words come out. It'd be great if there was a best commentary Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I would be so in on that. They could like put me on the committee. Yeah. I would just nominate shit. And with best picture, we could just give it to all our number ones. Yeah. So social network. So what's a uh, best music video? The Oscars do that, right? No. Is I it, do... is it Vogue by Madonna? Is it uh Janie's got a gun? Aerosmith? Um, no, uh, Paula, Paula Abdul. Is it? Straight oh, the now tell me, do you really oh, want yeah. to love? Um, suit and tie made that music video. What about sound? Best sound. Social network. The heavy breathing in Zodiac. Yes. Holy shit. <sighs> oh my god. His sound is always really immaculate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if we're doing, yeah. What about best score? I mean, which which Atticus? You know, which social network? I dude? think it's so. I it's social network. I listen to still yeah. regularly, and that's the one that is like. A turning point for like serious cinema having electronic score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that was a big deal. Oh, Although but- I do want to give a shout out to Howard Shore who did um some of his earlier works and stuff like that. Like Seven, in Seven um, dude. So did good. he do? No, who did the score for uh, Fight Club? 
Um, I can't remember off the top uh, of my Pixies. head who did that. <laughs> yes. Uh, best original song goes to Where Is My Mind? Uh, John King and Michael Simpson. John King from CNN. <laughs> Before he got a gig on there, he was making like weird, like. (laughs) I think it's Kornacki for Gone Girl. (laughs) Oh boy. All right. Gone Girl. Is it better or worse if you put Steve Kornacki in the Tyler Perry role? Damn. I feel like it's definitely hornier. Yeah. Uh, Would you put Matt out? Kornacki goes in the Neil Patrick Harris role. Yeah. You put Matt out in the Carrie Coon role. All right, I think we've been podcasting for too long. <laughs> All right, boys. <laughs> That's it for this week. Next week is Mank. Uh, stick around for that. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, donate, email us with your thoughts. Thanks to all the donors. Thank you for listening. Um, around the corner, we got an Oscar episode for you. And then the end of the year. Wonder Woman, 1984, Soul, and Listomania. Uh, And that'll be at that Mm -hmm. for 2020. Mm -hmm. So stick around. Stay tuned. We'll be pod. His name was Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. Bye.